1: I'm Paul Muldoon, the poetry editor of the magazine, and it's a delight to have you here today. Now, on this programme, as many of you will recall, we invite a poet to choose a poem from the New Yorker Archive. She reads it and we discuss it, and then we ask them to read one of their own poems that's been published in the magazine. And I can't say how happy I am today to welcome Mary Carr. Mary Carr. Mary Carr, the recipient of such honors as the Whiting Award, a Guggenheim Fellowship in Poetry, a poet and a memoirist. Mary Carr, you're very
0: welcome. Paul Muldoon, I'm very tickled to be here. The last time I saw you, we were on stage singing obscenities at a crowd of revelers.
1: Oh, were we? Yeah, we were. That that. was you. (laughs) I don't remember that at all. (laughs) But in any case, um, the poem you've chosen to read today is Ours Poetica with Bacon. Ours Poetica with Bacon by Terence Hayes. I suppose that title is an example of what we used to call Bethos, where you go from the high to the low.
0: Isn't that Alexander Pope's term? Yeah, that's right, yeah. You he know, pathos he was... was actual pity, but bathos was something uh, cruder, right, or, or lower. He also had a lot of pigs in his poems too, Pope.
1: There might have been the occasional pig. But uh, here we have Terence Hayes, Ars Poetica with Bacon. What drew you to this?
0: Well, Terrence Hayes is just one of my favorite American poets right now. I just think hes he just won the MacArthur Fellow Genius Award. I think he's working at the top of his game. And he's an interesting poet because he's able to do, as in this poem, these kind of large subjects, obviously the title with enormous humor, anything, or as poetica you think of as, you know, a poet holding forth in this kind of grand way like Horace or some some old Latin or Greek, using guy, but Ars Poetica with Bacon, right? So the
1: Ars Poetica, in other words, the, the 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 position paper of the poet, her view of what poetry means to her, her or him, and the setting out of uh, I suppose their their intentions as they're writing a poem. So, to what extent does this give a sense of what Terence Hayes might be about in general in his poems?
0: What Hayes is able to do is that the poem is, in a way, a fable. It's like it almost begins and, in some ways, has the feel of a children's story. And yet, just like when you go to the opera and everything on stage is very large and mythic, in the great operas, they manage to be intimate. They manage to be close. And to me, that's what Hayes does so beautifully. He writes a lot about family. Uh, In this case, this... The exiles, the refugees in this poem are a family that he's—or the speaker is in charge of. So, yeah, so I think the poem kind of embodies him working on telling this large, sweeping Dr. Zhivago-type tale going across this dangerous landscape— and yet it's a very intimate statement also about what it means to be part of a family. Why
1: don't we hear it? This is uh, Ars Poetica with Bacon by Terence Hayes, and it's read here by Mary Carr.
0: Fortunately, the family, anxious about its diminishing food supply, encountered a small, possibly hostile pig along the way. The daughter happened upon it first, pushing its scuffed snout against something hidden at the base of a thorn bush, A blood-covered egg, maybe, or a small rubber ball exactly like the sort that snapped from the paddle my mother used to beat me with when I let her down. At the time, the father and mother were tangled in some immemorial dispute about cause and effect, who'd harmed whom first, how jealousy did not, in fact, begin as jealousy but as desperation. When the daughter called out to them, they turned to see her lift the pig, it was no heavier than an orphan, from the bushes, and then set it down in their path. They waited to see whether the pig might idle forward with them until they made camp or wander back toward the home they'd abandoned to war. Night, enclosed in small drops of rain, began to fall upon them. Consequence, is the word that splintered my mind. Walking a path in the dark is about something, the way a family is about something. Like the pig, I too wanted to reach through the thorns for the egg or ball, believing it was a symbol of things to come. I wanted to roll it in my palm like the head of a small red bird until it sang to me, I wanted to know how my mother passed her days having never touched her husband's asshole, for example. Which parts of your body have never been touched, I wanted to ask. I've been hired to lead the family from danger to a territory full of more seeds than bullets. But truth was, in the darkness, there was no telling what was rooting in the soil. Plots of complete silence. Romantics posing in a field bludgeoned by shame. The heart, biologically speaking, is ugly as it pumps its passion and fear down the veins. Which is to say, starting out, we have no wounds to speak of beyond the ways our parents expressed their love. We were never sure what the pig was after or whether it was, in fact, Not a pig, but some single-minded soul, despair turned into a pig, some devil worthy of mercy. Without giving away the enigmatic ending, I will say, when we swallowed the flesh, our eyes were closed.
1: What an extraordinary poem. I mean, the capacity uh, for the discursive there is just remarkable, isn't it? This is a style that can really take in anything at all. I mean, so often one wants a poem to stop. At some level, there's a poem one wants to go on forever.
0: I mean, the one thing that Hayes has, I think, is such a generative talent like that and a very fluid mind. You know, he taught himself to play jazz piano starting when he was about 35, I think, 36, Mm -hmm. and is now competent to play jazz piano, if you can imagine such a thing, and he can paint... He's just kind of an artist, artist, I think. And to me, this poem never stops surprising me. And yet the turns, you know, a lot of times you read a poem, you know, I'm sort of sick to death. Right now there are these allegorical poems that show up where the great ship Hope is sailing across the great sea Trump and sinks or whatever. I mean, you know, there's some awful story or point that's being made.
1: Well, this flirts with symbolism and allegory, doesn't it? I mean, the pig, you know, is it, is it a pig, the ball, what does it stand for?
0: Is it an egg or is it a rubber ball that broke off a paddle?
1: And in a strange way, what the poem is perhaps insisting on is the literalness of things, among, among other things.
0: I think that's right. I mean, first off, one reason I chose it, you can never, I, I never say no to Bacon. I mean, if if I get a chance to eat bacon, a life's too short. So to get an Ars Poetica, this supposedly grand thing with, a, with just that good peasant crunch to it. And yes, I think he's talking about these symbols. The pig, obviously, I mean, I, the first association I had with it was it's fascism. It's what you call a right-wing police or, you know, a kind of Nazi-esque, you know, it's seen as a kind of it's what we used to call the police in the 60s and 70s when we were protesting. It. And the
1: male chauvinists.
0: And the male chauvinists are pigs. And so it's seen as this dominating, and yet this pig is the size of an orphan.
1: Well, the fact of the matter is, of course, that uh, you know the pig is an animal <clears throat> that's very close to ourselves. I mean, we are genetically very, very close to, to the pig as as, uh, human beings, which is one of the reasons, of course, why uh, the pig's heart is one of the very few hearts that we don't shrug off if it's implanted in us. So in a strange way, this pig that's like uh, a baby, and I remember the fabulous image in a Bunuel film along the way of of a pig, and a pig and a babe in arms that turns out to be a pig. Turns out to be a pig, You know, That's the right. pig is us. And, of course, which puts the whole idea of bacon into a rather different...
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's right. There's I a mean... little, little can of... Well, and also it's Eucharistic. I mean, it's also the, the metaphor, you know, at the end. The pig is a devil and an angel, and they're not sure. And the symbols are never symbols, capital S symbols you can nail down on your English... S-A-T and get an A on or something. It's it's a blood-filled egg. It's an egg that holds promise but is also in murder. And the pig becomes bacon in the end. And in the end, it's Eucharistic.
1: Yes. There's something of the Gadarene swine, as, if I as, if I recall it or right. Remember the image of the gathering yeah, swine so going right. over the cliff? There's something of that in there too, I think. But, I mean, one comes away from this... Uh, with a kind of resolve about uh, a delight in in uh, humanity.
0: Well, and and in the thinginess of the world, just in the nature of being in a family, and the mystery of what it's like to be to wonder, to be a child and wonder if one's mother has ever touched one's father's rectum and in, in what capacity, and and uh, the nature of jealousy and what we see as our sort of Cruder, it's part that it's despair. What Hayes has is a compassion for other human beings, but also kind of a compassion as he's writing that he follows the images. That at one point the egg or ball is transformed. He wants it to be a small red bird that'll tell him what's coming, and that's what the pig is after. It's not. Uh, it's not rooting for. Crap that it garbage it can eat. It's looking for this kind of sacred thing, and it's about the ugliness of the heart and of being in in this uh, the hunks of meat we are. And of course, at the end, when they eat the bacon, uh, when we swallowed the flesh, our eyes were closed. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're exalted, as one always is by bacon, and yet it has that you that feel of taking communion. Well, they're closed also
1: because they don't want quite want to think about what they're doing. I mean, in that something has died, something that may be a part of themselves, so they may be closed in that for that reason also. Does that make any sense that's to you? Br-
0: absolutely brilliant. Now, of course, I'm you know I'm a big Catholic, so I see everything as you know. <laughs> no, I think
1: it may be doing both things. No, I
0: think it is doing both things. But I mean, that's what Hayes does. It's so good; he always sees the other side. But it's not an easy flip flop. It's not a simple Eucharist. It's also, do we want to think about eating each other and the degrees to which being kin, our nature of kinship, how we cannibalize each other by virtue of the fact that we all have the same kinds of heart and we walk on legs.
1: Ours Poetica with Bacon uh, by Terence Hayes was published in the July 11, 2016 issue of The New Yorker. Now, in the September 22nd, 2014 issue of the magazine, Mary Carr, we published your poem, Face Down, and you're going to read that for us now. Can you recall at all what uh, provoked you into uh, writing this poem? W- w- is provocation a word that means anything to you?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, certainly a poem like this, I, I, uh, as you know, I was friends with the... David Foster Wallace, and his suicide, uh, I think, uh, left us all stunned mm-hmm. and uh, bereft and haunted. I mean, a suicide is never not haunting. Obviously, it must have been an enormous pain to do it. And um, and yet, I it's so amazing how sometimes, you know, one's dreams and memories of someone after they've died can be so astonishing. You really just want to talk to them. So I think it came out of my own sense of um, having not uh, kept him alive, the way one always feels, you know.
1: Do you feel guilt in some sense? I mean, that I think is common, a common um, emotion, uh, ill-founded,
0: of course. Yeah, I mean, I thought, you know, you always think the last time you spoke to somebody in that I didn't know he was that bad. I didn't know he was in that such bad shape. Other people did, and and they felt worse. And obviously, you know, family, it was the most... Uh, that was what was most haunting to me was how his family must have felt.
1: So, Mary Carr, would you like to read um, Face Down for us?
0: Happy to. Face Down. What are you doing on this side of the dark? You chose that side, and those you left... Feel your image across their sleeping lids as a blinding atomic blast. Last we knew, you were suspended mid-air, like an angel for a pageant off the room where your wife slept. She had to cut you down who'd been, I heard, so long holding you up. We all tried to, faced with your need, which we somehow understood and felt for and took into our veins like smack. And you must be lured by that old pain, smoldering like wood smoke across the death boundary. Prowl here, I guess, if you have to bother somebody. Or better yet, go bother God, who shaped that form you despised from common clay." That light you swam so hard away from still burns like a star over a desert or atop a tree in a living room where a sun's photos have been laid face down for the holiday.
1: What a remarkable image that is of the photos of the. Is it the sun's, the the photos that belong to the sun or the photos of the sun?
0: I was, you know, that's not clear, is it? I was thinking of the photos of of the sun.
1: Well, you know, I, I think, um, e- again, either of these readings is is, is, is perfectly allowable and, you know, as each is resonant in its way. Um, I mean, I suppose, just as, as a sense it arises naturally in conversation, I'd love to ask you, in general, what you think of that idea that one often hears expressed um, about uh, the poem meaning any old thing that you want it to mean.
0: Oh, would that that were true. <laughs> no, I think the poem doesn't mean any old thing that you want it to mean. I think, you know, I, I think that's a a myth of lazy English teachers, I think.
1: I fear so. It's maybe man- part of it, yeah.
0: Yeah, and so, no, I mean, for me, it's very intentional. And I think for the great poets, the poets, uh, a poet like Seamus Heaney, who, you know, we both admire— Everything feels so deliberate and so chosen, and I kind of like your reading uh, as and it and it agrees with as you said. It agrees with or rhymes with the my original intention.
1: But in general, what one's doing, I think, as I understand it, is actually cutting down on the range of readings that are possible rather than expanding on
0: them. Right, and and that's again what I, I if I can hark back a minute to the Hayes poem that uh, so many people who do allegory or that kind of capital S symbolic type of poem, it's haphazard or it feels random and haphazard and they just stuck in any old thing. And I think with a really fine poet, you have a sense of all the choices having been made and it has to be this and and not any other thing. I
1: was struck again hearing you read uh, the opening line, which is so arresting. Um, I mean, I thought as I heard you speak it there again. What are you doing on this side of the dark? Uh, one particular poet came to mind. His name is John Donne, and there's something Donnean about that opening. Does that mean anything to you? Oh,
0: yeah, absolutely. I mean, John Dunn is is one of the great poets, a great Catholic poet, but also somebody whose poems I've I've read and taught and uh, rolled around in for decades, along with that other great uh, Catholic poet, Hopkins. But certainly Dunn, boy, I'd, I, that's the happiest I've been maybe all year, Hearing, being com, likened, having a line likened to John Dunn. Boy, he made my day. Well,
1: here, but I mean, I, I'm not a million miles off there, am I? I mean, would you have been conscious of that as you were writing it?
0: Absolutely not. Is there a Dunn poem specifically? Well, I'm just
1: thinking of the the arrest. Uh, it's, it's not a particular poem, no. But uh, batter my heart, three, three person God. Right. What are you doing on this side of the dark? You know, for God's sake, hold thy tongue and let me love. What I'm talking about is the is the propensity to you know grab you by the scruff of the neck. Um, there's so many ways of entering a poem. One may inveigle. One's reader into it, sort of take them by the elbow, by the sleeve, and sort of, you know, gradually draw them into the, into the poem. Or you can, as I say, grab them by the scruff of the neck and drag them into it, which is what this is doing.
0: I mean, and it was one of those poems where you have a dream about somebody right after he died. I had a dream about him, and I woke up and I just, in the poem, I never have poems that come to me, but uh, that first line came to me and felt so plain and so spoken and so common for any of us when we think about people we've lost, I think.
1: It it seems to me, and I wonder if this means anything to you, that one of the great difficulties with the elegy is that since it is based on a quote-unquote true story, uh, paradoxically, that may make it even more difficult to tell.
0: Oh, it makes it more difficult to tell. Oh, you mean? Well, then, then, well, of course, one of the great elegies was a kind of made-up relationship, right? Was Milton's Lycidas, um, you know, where he writes about this guy who kind of friend of friends who drowned. So that's interesting because.
1: Of course, you're, you're, I mean, one of your great gifts is as a memoirist, so perhaps it's not so... It wouldn't be such an issue, I think, as it would be for for myself and others. I mean, uh, one thinks about it, of course, because one is of a certain age now, and alas, uh, too many opportunities for elegizing present themselves. But, um, you know, I'm just wondering um, if I may ask you... But would you make a distinction between memoirism, if we may call it that, and what's going on in this poem?
0: Oh, no. I mean, I've always, I think my impulse as an artist has been autobiographical. And it isn't for many poets. I mean, uh, although, you know, it's funny, with a poet as fantastic, say, as Wallace Stevens, I often read those poems very personally.
1: Well, my own view is that it I think it's, I'm just going to state it. I think it's more or less impossible not to be autobiographical. How could one possibly avoid being autobiographical in some sense?
0: Right. But I, I think that I'm, I'm doing something obviously. I mean I don't think Terence Hayes uh, was point man <laughs> – you know, escaping some landscape, you know, and they they find him and kill and eat a pig.
1: Well, of course, he is throwing his voice there, and that indeed is something that is little, uh, you know, not not so (laughs) generally understood about the poetry business as it might be. However, there must be something about that poem that actually reveals some aspect of Terence Hayes' being.
0: Well, he said an interesting—I talked to him about it because I knew I was doing this, and I— you know, I just wanted to tell him how I was thinking about it. And uh, he said the, the line that really ambushed him and felt like a breakthrough to him in that poem is, we have no wounds to speak of beyond the ways our parents express their love, mm-hmm. which is a very plainly spoken Statement about how wounding it is to have to love the people you share DNA with. <laughs> Just a, you, know, the, you know,
1: well, it's a, a remarkable because uh, I mean I think it's quite common for um, people to resent those who love them too much. Right. I mean, one of those absolutely perverse aspects of our nature.
0: Yeah, right. I mean, it's, it's supposed to be a gift. Well,
1: here's the thing: I suspect that a pig doesn't harbor such feelings. <laughs>
0: I wish for its sake I hope for its sake it doesn't harbor such feelings. I hope a pig doesn't know it's bacon <laughs> as I try to know that I'm not know that I'm bacon.
1: Listen, Mary Carr, I could talk to you forever. It's been such a pleasure to have you with us today. Face down uh, by Mary Carr as well as Terence Hayes' poem Ours Poetica with Bacon may both be found on New Yorker dot com. Terence Hayes' latest book of poems is How to Be Drawn. And Mary Carr's most recent collection is Sinner's Welcome. Mary Carr, thank you so much. Thank you. You can subscribe to this podcast and other free New Yorker podcasts in the iTunes store. You can hear more poetry read by the authors in newyorker.com and on the digital edition for tablets and phones at no extra charge from the App Store or from Google Play. The theme music is the Pintigree Ferryman from the album The Highlanders Farewell by Alastair Fraser and Natalie Ross from Colburny Records. The New Yorker Poetry Podcast was produced by Jill Duboff of NewYorker.com with help from Elizabeth Dennison.